We've been in a series for quite a long time about, uh, well, really chronologically walking through Scripture. It's called the Gospel Project. We went from Genesis, we're almost to Revelation, and isn't that amazing? Four years in, it took four years to get there. Uh, We're almost at the end of that, but we're taking a pause right now. We've got six or seven weeks where we're going to finish a series that I was throwing in every once in a while, a trilogy. It's called The Good and Beautiful Design. It's about transformation from dysfunction to design. What a time to talk about dysfunction in our world today. But God has a design, and we can count on his design for life. And so we're going to be walking through that. Would you pray with me today? Would you just pray this prayer? You don't have to say it out loud, but I'd ask that you'd say this prayer silently. God, if there's anything you want me to hear this morning, I'm willing to listen. Can you give God that prayer? God, if there's anything you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. And God, may you be glorified. May everyone hearing this message be edified. And may Satan be horrified in Jesus' name. Amen. So we get into this good and beautiful design. It's easy to look out and see the chaos that's out there and blame everybody else. It's just easy to say, well, those people are nuts. How many of you get on Facebook or whatever social media and immediately like, well, there's a nut job. I mean, we look around and we say, everybody else is crazy. And it reminded me of this great story. Uh, this young couple moved out to the country. And uh, as they got out there in the country, enjoying country living, they could see their neighbor's yard. And, and uh, the young couple sitting there and, and uh, she watches as the neighbor comes out and starts hanging her laundry on the lines. And the, and the young wife says, she must not know how to do laundry. The, the, the clothes are dirty still. And, and it, it, she must not be using the right soap. And, and the next morning they get up and they're having breakfast. And there's the lady putting stuff on the line. And this young wife says, what is wrong? Somebody needs to help that lady. She's putting up her laundry and it's filthy. This goes on for about a month. Every day she's watching and judging her neighbor saying she can't clean her laundry. And then one day they sit down at the table and the wife looks out and she says, well, look, her clothes are as clean as can be. Somebody finally helped her. I wonder who helped her with her laundry. And the husband said, honey, I went and washed our windows. <laughs> you see, it's, it's easy to look out and judge everybody else and see the mess that's out there. And sometimes we need to take a look at home and just look at our own lives and realize that it's our window It's our window sometimes that makes everything look so bad. And that's what we're here to talk about is God's design in this dysfunction. It's God's design. We got to keep relying on that. What is his design for living? And so this morning we got to do a little catch up, right? Maybe you weren't here for the the trilogy, the whole trilogy. And I'm going to just give us a couple of minutes to walk through some of the trilogy. The first part of the trilogy was the good and beautiful God. If there's a good and beautiful design, there was a good and beautiful designer, and we know that God is the creator of all things, and we talked about the good and beautiful God. And not just God, but the God as Jesus knows him, that this word tells us about him. And you remember in this series, in this whole trilogy, remember we're trying to do away with the false narratives and put in true narratives? And so we we talked about, oh, there it is, the four components of transformation, God wants to transform us, change us, not leave us like we are. And if we are to be literally changed, if truly change and transformation happens when we adopt the narratives of Jesus, when we know God the way Jesus knows God. 
So we got to adopt the narratives of Jesus. We must engage in soul training exercises. Are you ready, church? You know what happens during the Good and Beautiful series. Every Sunday, I send you out a soul training exercise. Today, you're going to get two of them. Two soul training exercises to do this week. I want you guys to be flexing those muscles, not just hearing the word, but put them into action. So every week during the series, you're going to be given some challenges. And this one's a good one. This is two challenges today coming out in the email. I'll send them out right after this service, okay? And so you guys can look at those soul training exercises. And then thirdly, we must participate in community. The Christian life was not meant to live alone. It's not a solo act. And so we do this in community, and the whole thing's held together by the fourth component, and that fourth component is the Holy Spirit, not Pastor Don, not Pastor Shane, not Pastor Ben. We are not the Holy Spirit in your life. I am counting on the fact that God will work in you and move you. That's why I don't teach you rules and regulations. We'll teach biblical principles. I trust that the Lord will work in your life. It's going to be part of our message today. So the Holy Spirit puts this all together. We learned all this in the good and beautiful God. We learned that God is, promise, he's coming. God is, keep going because I don't don't know if this is working or not. Somebody help me out. God is and God is not. So the true narratives and the false narratives, keep going. God is good and trustworthy. Remember we talked about that. And he is not an angry masochist. God is not angry. Some people envision, they close their eyes and envision who God is, and they envision an angry God. Our God is good and trustworthy. Our God is loving and generous. He is not merit-based legalist. Uh, Salvation doesn't come to you by what you do. We are not saved by our works or our good deeds. God doesn't have a, a, a system like we often think of, of the scales of justice that you see, Lady Justice with her scales. God does not say, well, they do some good stuff, they do some bad stuff, their good stuff better way out, do their, their bad. No, God doesn't do that. It's not about your good or your bad. It's about Jesus, amen? Jesus on the cross, and God is loving and generous. He's also, God is holy and sacrificing. Those two are put those two together. He's holy, which means he must judge sin. Holy doesn't say, ah, forget about it. Holy says, no, sin must be paid for, but he's also sacrificing. He paid for it with his own son. So God is not ambivalent to sin. He's not ambivalent to sin. Sin will be paid for. But for those of us who put our name and our our trust in the name of Jesus and what he did on the cross, that sin is paid for there. God is something that was it i'm going to look at my notes and i'm gonna have to put on the specs those are those three things god is all of these things that we just mentioned and he's not the false narratives that we put into our own thinking that's the good and beautiful god the next part of a trilogy was the good and beautiful life putting on the character of jesus this was all about learning from the narratives of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Learning from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And what do we learn? Jesus teaches us to live without anger, live without lust, live without lying, live without cursing the cursors, live without vainglory, live without avarice. How many of you still remember what avarice means? You remember avarice? Yes, avarice. And live without worry, live without judging. We walk through the Sermon on the Mount to learn what is Jesus' narrative about a good and beautiful life. And we must be living in that way. Living in the kingdom day by day. We learned in this series that we are 
kingdom people. Everybody say it with me. We are kingdom people. Remind yourself that every day when you wake up. Before your feet hit the floor, I'm a kingdom person today, first and foremost. Everything I do and say, all my actions should be based on the fact that I'm a kingdom person. And then this should remind all of you, remember the pickle. Remember the pickle. You remember we did a, it was out in the park and I actually had a barrel of pickles and you guys got to eat the pickles while I talked about the process of becoming a pickle. There's no way a cucumber becomes a pickle without what? Soaking. (laughs) It's got to soak. It's got to penetrate and permeate your life. And so what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount is not just a a one sermon band-aid. It's a whole new life. We soak in the word of God. Are you soaking in the word of God on your own? That's a little bit of a recap, and that heads us to the good and beautiful community. That's where we're at for the next six, seven weeks. Following the Spirit, extending grace, and demonstrating love. And the big idea for today is we are a peculiar, everybody say peculiar. We are a peculiar community different from ordinary and common. Do you ever stop and realize that, that we are Aliens and strangers in this present world, the Bible says. And people would look at us because we're believers and think, they're strange. They're odd. They're different. We're going to talk about that one component today, that we are a peculiar community. Different from the ordinary and different from the common. The key verse we're using for that is 1 Peter 2, 9. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're a peculiar people. So the false narrative today is really simple. The false narrative for this morning is Christians are no different. Boy, I hope, I hope you don't buy into that, that we're no different than anybody else. I hope that people around you don't buy into the fact that you're the same as everybody else. That's a false narrative today. I hope you're not living with the goal of being not different. Sometimes we as believers, we just want to make sure we're, we're, we're just like everybody else. We want to make sure we fit in. Sometimes we try too hard. My uh, daughter's both played soccer at a public high school. And uh, my one daughter is here, but I don't point her out today, but she was vicious on the soccer field. I, I, I loved it because she played hard. She's competitive. She's like her daddy. She got her daddy in that. She, she fights hard. So she plays hard. I'd always feel bad watching the, the, the games, and, and Caitlin would be a defender, and she'd be tracking down a girl coming with the ball, and she would just take her out. Oh, my goodness. She just hustled. Not, nothing dirty, never anything malicious, but, boy, you better watch out. She's going to take you down. She'd play hard. But you know what the worst game of the year was? The worst game of every year was when that public high school played a Christian school. I won't name the school, Kalamazoo Christian. I won't name them. But <laughs> when we played that Christian school, it was embarrassing. Christian kids out there playing soccer against public school kids, whether they felt like they had to prove that they were just like them or I don't know, they swore more, they were more mean, vicious, and ugly, and constantly swearing at the girls out in the field. My girls would come home, and they would say, Dad, it was awful. The girls on my, unsaved public school kids on my soccer team come to me and say, I thought they were a Christian school. Why do they act like that? 
Was it because they were trying to prove that they were no different? I got news for you. We're supposed to be different. The word peculiar is awesome. It goes into our narrative this morning, our our true narrative. The true narratives, Christians are peculiar. Everybody say peculiar. We're peculiar. What does peculiar mean? Peculiar actually means, according to the dictionary, strange. Everybody say strange. Everybody say odd. Everybody say unusual. Boy, we're called to be a peculiar people. But, when we talk about that, we've got to make sure that we are, are thinking of the same thing. So we, 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 let's go to the C.S. Lewis quote. C.S. Lewis said this, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was not, or I was made, for another world. That's why we're strange here and peculiar. We don't belong here is because we have a different belonging. We're kingdom people. So we live life differently. Strange. Odd, unusual. First Corinthians three, verse three. It's not going to be on the screen for you, but I love this. Uh, Paul was getting on Christians because they were acting up in church. You know, believe it or not, Christians act up in church. Paul had all sorts of problems. I mean, come on, the, the first church we glorify them and say they were wonderful. Yeah, but they were getting drunk at communion. They're not perfect people, all right? So we look at the first church, the early church. They were actually coming and getting buzzed off communion. And that, that was not, that's not good. And so Paul had to say, come on now. Come on now. And I love what he says in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 3. He said, you are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Did you hear what Paul just said? He actually condemned them and said, you're acting like normal people. You're acting like mere humans. Wake up. You're not merely human anymore. (laughs) Friends, if if you've accepted Jesus Christ in your life, I got to let you know you're both human and divine. The Holy Spirit resides in you. You're no longer of this world. So we shouldn't be the same. We ought to be strange. Everybody say strange. We ought to be odd. Everybody say odd. We ought to be unusual. Everybody say unusual. That's the difference. Because there's been a change. Isn't it wonderful that there's been a change in your life? We, we're not merely human anymore. It reminds me of the uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember they're thrown in that fiery furnace? Remember what the king said? Remember if they spent time in that fiery furnace and they were brought out and the king walks up and goes, I don't even smell smoke. You know what? You and I should be so changed and so different You've been made new. You've been brought up out of the fiery furnace. And you know what? The world ought to look at you and go, I don't even smell the stench of their past. Amen? I'm looking around the room. Some of you had stenchy pasts. Some of you came from places and did some things. And you know what? That's our past. But you know, the world ought to say, hmm, I, I knew Marty McDaniel in the 70s. He's nothing like that anymore. And the world ought to say, that's strange. The world ought to look around and, and see somebody and, and, and it's a believer and say, you know what, they're, they're odd. They're unusual in the way they handle themselves and they handle situations. They're different. That's peculiar change. So we must be peculiar, but for all the right reasons. <laughs> oh, I won't spend a lot of time on the negative here this morning, but let's be honest. Christians sometimes are weird, but not for the right reasons. 
Christians sometimes deserve that, that's odd. We've got to be peculiar, but it must be for all the right reasons. It ought to be for following Jesus as kingdom people. That's why we ought to be different. We follow Jesus, amen? But it must not be because wickedness or obnoxiousness. Oh, Christian, people are watching us. Please don't let them say, oh, the Christians, you know, you know what they're like. I, I told you this before, but I, I have had friends in college who were waiters and waitresses. I've known people my whole life that have served. The day of the week they hate the most is Sunday afternoon because Christians come from church and they notoriously don't tip well. That's sad. Uh, friends, I'm not, I'm not being mean. I'm not telling you to, to, to double your bill or anything, but tip well. You come and you're obviously coming from church. You ought to make sure that you tip well so that the people say, oh, I love Sundays. The Christians come out and they love our bread at, at naps. They love that bread and butter, but man, they also are giving. And, and here's what I'm saying. I'm not telling you, uh, you know, double tip or anything. I'm just saying be generous. Remember our message last week? That's the goal. Generosity. Be generous. And you say, but well, Petey, I just can't afford that. I can barely afford the meal. Then don't all go out and eat. You go home and eat your bologna. Because don't go knowing and clearly that you're coming from church and leave a bad taste in anybody's mouth. Is anybody with me this morning? You see, we can't be strange and odd and unusual in the wrong ways. Last week, talking to Tracy, she was saying that her school, they play sports and, and, and mostly the teams that they have to play are Christian schools and homeschool groups. And she made the comment that they're really struggling because they won't cooperate. I won't get into the whole thing. But I listened to that and I thought, people just know that this Christian group just won't work with them. They won't cooperate. They won't do what they're supposed to do. Oh, don't leave a bad name. We bear the name of Jesus everywhere we go, so let's not leave a bad name. I got to get off of that because I'll go there too long, and I don't want you to feel negative today. I want you to hear the positives. Let me tell you what we need to do and avoid the nonsense that Christians are known for. First John, no, I'm sorry, First Peter 4, 12 through 16. This says it so clearly. I know that the writer of this book was experiencing exactly what I'm talking about. 1 Peter 4, 12-16. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer... It should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Friends, be strange, be peculiar, be odd and unusual, but in all the right ways. The writer here said, don't do it as a criminal or somebody that breaks the law. Don't do it as somebody who's just a pain in the neck, a meddler. Christians, don't do that. You insult the name of Christ. You bring a bad name on your church. I just got to stop. Why should we be peculiar? It's because we have a peculiar God. First and foremost, our God is not like man's God's. 
we have a peculiar God. Extraordinarily different from the Greek and Roman gods that humans designed. All other gods are not gods. They're false gods and they're made up by humans. We have gods made in humans image not what god says in scripture we have man created in god's image and when the greeks and romans made their gods those gods notoriously lied they notoriously cheated they were murderers and they were adulterers boy isn't it obvious that those gods were made in humans likeness so mankind comes up with a god and makes it very clear that the god of scripture is not made by man he is not made by man Our God is peculiar for all the right reasons. We have a peculiar God. Our God is sacrificial. Boy, if I'm I'm creating a God, of course he's going to lie and cheat and steal and do everything for himself because that's what we're like, right? But instead, the God of Scripture is sacrificial. He died for us. The God of Scripture is forgiving, even when it's not deserved. Wow, our God is peculiar. You'd think that if I'm making a God, I'm making a God who shoots out fire bolts and lightning bolts and, 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 and fire from heaven. And so if you do something wrong, or if you do something wrong, I'm not going to forget. No, we have a God who's sacrificing and forgiving, even when it's not deserved. We have a God who is generous, never greedy, never out for himself, but he's a generous, giving God. We have a God who's good and loving, never evil. Our God is right and true. He's never wrong. He's just. We have a peculiar God. When people in the past would look at Israel and look at their God, they would say, that's strange. You know, those Israelites, they follow the one God. They follow the one true God. Then they were known to be odd and different and weird. We have a peculiar God, and he is not like us. His ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. That's Isaiah 55, 8. You can look that up on your own, but it says exactly just what I said. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Our God is peculiar. He's not one of us. He's like the good father in Luke 15. Boy, our God is peculiar. If you want to know what God is like, read Luke 15 one more time. That loving father who who waits and sees his son coming from afar. What does he do? He runs to him and he hugs him. And he gives him the robe and the ring and the sandals back on his feet. And he throws a feast for him. Our God is sacrificing and loving and caring. That's peculiar. You would read that passage after the son left and took half of the inheritance and spent it on wild living, you would think that the father would be waiting with a whip, right? That's what you would think. You would think, man, that kid ought to get beat for that. And, and you're totally blown away when you hear him coming back home after it lost everything, wild living, and there's the father. And he makes him an heir again. Wow. We have a, a good, good father Our God is like a generous employer. This one really bothers most people. He's not like us. He hires people, more and more people all day long until the last hour of the workday, he's hiring more people. And then the workday ends and he pays everybody the one day's wage, even those who only worked for an hour. And we all say, that's socialism. (laughs) God, that's not right. Oh God, that's not fair. Here we are, we want God to be like us in our evaluation of fairness and rightness. And God just, just, well, Scripture, when it it talks about who God is, he's a good, good father, he's a generous employer. And I love what Scripture said. When people complained, 
Why are you giving those people so much money? They only worked for an hour. And I love the answer. What's it to you? It's my money. What? I can be generous where I want to be generous. That's our God. And we don't like that because it doesn't sound fair, but you ought to be thinking that sounds great to me because that analogy is about us getting to go to heaven. Us sinners, we get saved and we don't deserve it. There are people in their last hours that call upon the name of the Lord. I've been at the beds of people who had moments left and they pray, God, save me. And they end up in the throne room of heaven. And we would say, well, that's not fair. They didn't go to church and work so hard. Oh, they haven't been giving. They haven't been giving their tithe. That's a rule, you know. Tithe. They haven't done any of that stuff, and they get to go to heaven. Somebody in prison on death row learns about Jesus, and their life has changed. What? That's not fair. They're bad people. Wake up. We're all bad people. We're all in need of forgiveness. And oh, if we have some hierarchy of I deserve it more than then you've got it wrong. You don't have the gospel. The gospel is God pours out his, it's his to give. And if we were creating God, we would make him more like us. They better earn it. They better deserve it. Be thankful we're not God. <laughs> we have a peculiar God, amen? So as God is, so his people should be, amen? If we've got a peculiar God who's different, then shouldn't his people be like him? We've got to be different in all the right ways. Here's the best way I can preach it. Love. That's one way we can be different. Just love at all times and at all costs. Love, by the way, is selfless, willing sacrifice for the good of another person, even when they don't deserve it, without expecting anything in return. I learned the definition. Love. Love. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 7 through 12, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, so we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Love. We love because he first loved us. The Bible does say they will know we are Christians by our love. They should see our love inside a community and say, I want that. They should see the way we treat one another and say, I want to be a part of that family. But then they ought to also see our love for them outside of this building. And that's why we say, come for Halloween. Come and we'll give you a great time as a family for free. We just love. Why? Because he loved us. We can never outgive God. God gives out of generosity, not scarcity. We also ought to give out of generosity and never out of scarcity. Love. The other thing that we should be as God and as people should be as he is, we should be maladjusted. People should look at us and say, boy, that's Dan Walls. He's maladjusted. Boy, I tell you what, he's, he's not quite normal. And that's a good thing for the right reasons. We should be maladjusted to the ways of this world. What am I saying? The problem has been that Christians are too well-adjusted to this world. We're too well-adjusted 
We must not become well-adjusted to greed, hate, fear, racism, bigotry, bitterness, malice, slander. We must not become adjusted to those things. We must be maladjusted to the ways of this world. If we don't live those ways, then people will look at us and say, that's strange. Well, that's odd. Well, that's unusual. Sure, they might use a word like crazy from time to time, but it's crazy good if we're following Jesus. I don't have time to read it, but I'll just kind of quick shot. I was reading a lot about the Quakers this week. And the Quakers had a meeting. I think it was John Woolman back in the 1800s. They had a prayer meeting. And, and they were uh, gathering and, and praying. They decided just to pray. They prayed for two hours. This whole Quaker community would just pray. Quakers, by the way, that's where the French church comes from. They're pacifist. They're against injustice and things like that. I spoke at a, at a French church once in Battle Creek. I was invited to be the guest speaker. And I did my message about David and his armor bearer. And I had my big sword. Remember the sword I used in my illustration? And I was doing that whole message. And I was in the worship service and we're singing. And I realized, wait, these are Quakers. And I'm using a sword as an illustration. And I leaned to the pastor. I'm like, hey, I just realized I've got a sword in my illustration today. And you're a, you're a pacifist church. And he's like, oh, Don, they don't even know what Quaker means. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so I preached my message. It was fine. But the, the original Quakers, they were pacifists and they were about justice and, and against injustice. So that meeting happened in the 1800s where John Woolman led these people together and they prayed for hours and hours. And after praying, he stood up and he just said, friends, slavery is a, it's an awful thing. And I feel that God is telling us we got to do something different. And so at that meeting, the Quakers of that town decided they were freeing all their slaves and they freed them all. But it didn't end there. They decided it was so wrong and what they've been doing was so wrong, they were going to back pay them for all the work they'd done for them. And they did. And everybody said, that's crazy. Boy, you people are maladjusted. That's strange. And yes, it is. William Penn. William Penn was a young man when he came to Christ as a Christian and he went to a Quaker church. It was George Fox, the founder of the Quaker movement. He was friends with George and this young man, William Penn, after coming to Christ and listening in church for a while, he started to feel convicted because in those days when you were from the upper crust of society, you wore a sword and it wasn't to hurt anybody, but you wore a sword and it was a symbol of your status. It just said that I am of that upper crust. I, you know, I have the stuff, bling, bling. So their bling-bling was a a sword that they carried with them at all time. And young William Penn came to George Fox, the founder of the Quaker movement, pacifist, by the way, and against injustice and levels of society. And William Penn came and asked George Fox, should I wear the sword? It's a symbol of war, and it's a symbol for us of class distinction, two things that the Quakers are definitely against. So William Penn asked George Fox, should I wear the sword? And you know what William Penn's or, or George Fox's answer was? You would think that he would say, young man, take that sword and make it into a plowshare. Young man, never, never should you wear the sword, the symbol of such tyranny. You know what George Fox told a young William Penn? He said, William, wear it for as long as you can. Wear it for as long as you can. Why would he say that? Because if he had told him, don't wear the sword, William Penn would have grew up just being a rule follower 
that somebody taught him a rule to follow. Instead, George Fox did something that was beautiful. He allowed him to learn how to listen to the Holy Spirit. William Penn wore the sword for a while. On his own, he finally decided, I can't wear this sword. So the last slide this morning is what do we do? How do we do this? How can we be peculiar? Well, number one, you got to abide in Christ. Abiding in Christ is the only way we can be peculiar in all the right reasons. John 15, 4 says, Remain in me and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Friends, there's no shortcut to this. You must remain in Christ. Abide in Christ every day. Read the word. Let his word soak in you. Soak, pickle. Soak. Soak. Let it change you from the inside out. No shortcut. Abide in Christ. You're abiding in Christ day by day. People will think you're strange and odd and peculiar. Secondly, we've got to trust the Holy Spirit's leading. Galatians 5.16 says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Abide in Christ. Walk in the Spirit. Let the Spirit guide you. And the, the saying on the screen, the last saying, live a life of godly principles. Neither legalism nor license. That's what George Fox did for a young William Penn. He didn't give him a license to wear the sword, but he didn't give him a rule that he couldn't wear it either. He said, wear it as long as you can, William. Wear it as long as you can. He trusted that the Holy Spirit would move in his life and through the principles, William would make a right choice, and he did eventually. A lot longer than you might think, but he did make the right choice. Friends, that's why your pastor is not going to get up here and tell you rules. I don't want to preach rules. I grew up being preached rules. Your hair length. Don't wear jeans. I'm a rebel. Can't go to the bowling alleys. Don't shoot pool. You can't dance. You can't. You can't. You can't. Man's rules. And they were easy to follow because they were very clearly lit, written down. I grew up learning the rules but not knowing Jesus. It's a whole different life when you follow the principles. Yeah, there are some rules. Yeah, there are definitely some rules. Right, Jim? There's some rules. You better follow the Ten Commandments. There's some things there. Like, do not murder. I'm not going to say, stand murder as long as you can. Murder as long as you can. No, stand. No, no. There's some rules. There's some hardcore rules that you just cannot break, right? But there are principles of Christian living. Like giving we talked about last week. It's not a rule. It's harder than a rule. It goes above the rule. Generosity is the principle? Yes. Well, how do I do that? You figure it out. So I can't, I don't have to give? Here's your pastor. Let, let me tell you. I'll follow George Fox. Don't give as long as you can. Don't be generous as long as you can. Because I trust that Christ in you and the Spirit in you will drive you a different direction than that. <laughs> Let's be strange. Let's be strange for all the right reasons. I'd ask the band to come up. They're going to send us out. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna be strange, right? We're going to be odd. We're going to be different. We're going to be unusual. That's our call. I pray that you'll do it for all the right reasons this week. Look for your soul training exercise this week. Get on that. There's some great things about spending time with God. And four acts of peculiarity. Four acts of peculiarity is what you're called to do this week. You figure out what those four acts will be for you. Let me pray, and we'll send you out strange as can be. Father God.
may you bless us as we try to live out your word. God, help us just to be followers of Jesus and let the world see us as, as it is. May they say, that's strange. Well, that's peculiar. That's unusual. But may they want it and crave it more than anything else. May they know we're Christians by our love. In Jesus' name, amen.